12th chapter of the Gospel of John. We're going to read from verses 12 through 19. Verse 12 begins, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him, and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on the donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they had heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Heavenly Father, these are your words. We just pray that you would sanctify us in this truth today, that you have come to be the King of kings, and that you alone are worthy to be called the King. Now, Lord, you have, you have come to bring the greatest hope of all to the world. And the people that gathered in Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday came to praise you as their king. But oh my, how fast things can change when we come to Blue Monday. And the mood has changed so drastically. So Lord, we pray that this morning we might see you, not just for the moment, but for the thrill of our life. We pray this in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, friends, uh, I'm not, I, I, I kind of feel like I am half-dressed today because when I've preached for 50 years, I've always worn a robe. And the basic reason for it is so that you couldn't see my knees knocking. <laughs> and now I, I have a podium here you can see right through. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just kind of close your eyes, <laughs> because uh, this is a, a new experience for me. But I want to say, Sandy and I have been deeply thrilled to be a part of Lakes Free Church. We have come to know so many of you people, and I'm still trying to learn your names and your faces, so be patient with me because, uh, like the song says, the old gray mare isn't quite what she used to be <laughs> in trying to remember names and faces. But uh, we, are, we are deeply blessed to be a part of a church that uh, is rooted and grounded in uh, the truth of the Word of God. And that has been my passion for the greatest share of my ministry. This morning, as we 
attempt to uh, set this, the stage for what Palm Sunday was going to be like. I had planned to have a, a video clipped to share with you of what uh, the Jerusalem scene was like on Palm Sunday. However, due to uh, technical difficulties and our technological uh, gadgets, we are not able to bring that clip to you. So, just try to imagine in your mind what it was like in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. I want to start on the Mount of Olives, which is a, a mount just to the east of the old city of Jerusalem that's completely surrounded by a high wall. And um, in the city of Bethany, that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And we, if you read the previous chapter to what we started today in chapter 12, chapter 11 is where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And I wanted to show you Mary and Martha's home and, and uh, the tomb where Lazarus was buried in. And uh, from there, he asked his disciples to go and find a, a colt and uh, the mare and bring that, those animals to him. And if anybody would ask him, why are you doing that? They were to say, because the Lord has need of them. And so he gets on this donkey and he starts his descent from the Mount of Olives down the Hosanna Road, as it's called. And he comes to a place where he sees the whole city view from the eastern wall. And he looks into the old city and the Temple Mount. And if you've seen the picture of the Dome of the Rock, which has that gold dome, that's a Muslim mosque where the Muslims worship. And, and as uh, Jesus saw that city, he stopped and he wept. And he said, you know, how often I have tried to gather you people together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you wouldn't. And he wept. And there is a chapel that is built on the location where Jesus wept that is called the the, uh, the teardrop. It's built in the shape of a teardrop. And then the journey carried on through the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, the word Gethsemane means olive press. And the reason for that is that in the garden, there was a grove of olive trees. And some of the trees that one sees there to this day the trunks date back to the time of Jesus. And then he comes to the Golden Gate. That's the only gate in the whole city, there are eight of them, that is closed. And the book of Ezekiel prophesied that gate would be closed because that's where the Lord went through. Now, in 1967, the Jordanians attempted to crack open that gate and enter into the Temple Mount. But they were prevented from doing that because of the prophecy. That gate will remain closed, and it won't be open again until the Lord comes back. And when he comes back, he's going to step foot on that same Mount of Olives 
from which he ascended, and he will enter into the temple through that golden gate. Now that's just uh, the kind of uh, uh, a picture that I wanted to give to you today as we talk about Palm Sunday. I can imagine that that day was something like what we see in Times Square on New Year's Eve. You've ever seen that on television? That vast throng of people that are gathered in the Times Square to celebrate New Year's Eve. Well, Josephus, the notable Jewish historian, estimated that there were over two million people in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday getting ready to celebrate the Passover. And they were there early because they needed to purify themselves before the Passover meal. And it is known that 256,500 lambs were slaughtered on that Passover. And each lamb represented at least 10 worshipers. That gives you a picture of the crowd that was there in Jerusalem at that time. There were teeming thousands from all over the world that were flooding into the city to observe the Passover, and the mass of people and the necessary housing and food arrangements uh, to, to take care of all those people. Can you imagine doing that? Two million people? An excitable carnival atmosphere was bound to prevail over such a mob of people. Lots of them jamming the streets. But as they prepared to celebrate one of the most important feasts that the Jewish people celebrate all year, word came, Jesus is coming into the city. It's a rare thing that all four Gospels record the same event in Jesus' life. Sometimes one or two of the Gospels may record an event. And maybe on occasion, three of the four Gospels may record an event. But... What happens on this day in Jerusalem is recorded by all four of the gospel writers. And for that reason alone, we need to consider what happened here to be of utmost importance. So the crowd gathers as Jesus rides into the city on the colt of a donkey, and they began to wave their palm branches, just like our children came and processed through the sanctuary here this morning, waving their palm branches. And the people were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And if you were there, who would you have seen? What were they thinking? I believe that as we examine this crowd this morning that we, that were present in that particular day, we may find ourselves there. Maybe even some of those that are around us. For example, the Roman soldiers were there. As the crowd begins to honor Jesus, I, I, I'm sure that gets the attention of the Roman soldiers. There were probably a large number of soldiers who gathered to see what in the world is going on here today. For they, char they were charged with keeping the Jewish people under control. After all, the Romans were the ones that were in charge of Israel at that particular time. What did this demonstration really mean to the Romans? There's nothing that's recorded in the Bible about their viewpoint, but it's certain that they did keep a close watch that day because during the annual Passover feast, it was uncommon that uh, uh, some of the Jewish zealots would try to arouse the people to, to try to get them to fight back against the, 
the Roman occupation of the city and the country. Maybe they thought this parade was going to be that kind of an event. Maybe they thought they would have to quell a riot that day. But then here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. I can imagine some of these Roman soldiers must have chuckled under their breath at this so-called triumphal entry. Because it was nothing like the triumphal entry that, that uh, the Roman soldiers got back in Rome. I'm sure that the Roman soldiers who were smiling and chuckling, they had seen this kind of a tribute before. Contrast that to the Roman triumphal entry. They came in on gold-covered chariot uh, pulled by white stallion horses. That was the symbol of being a warrior. The general would display the trophies that he had won. The enemy leaders that he had uh, captured, they would be paraded in a chain down the main street behind the general. I can imagine this triumphal entry in, in Rome was kind of like the American ticker tape parade. The one ticker tape parade I remember as a, as a child, I was in grade school. That was the year that Douglas MacArthur was relieved from his duties in the Pacific. And he came home to New York. And as a, as a school, the whole school, I went to a one-room school. And the whole school took time out to listen to this parade on radio. We didn't have television at that time. Listen to it on radio. And you could just see or feel the paper that was floating down as they described MacArthur going down Fifth Avenue. Now, the general would ride into the city in this kind of a gold-covered uh, chariot, and uh, the parade would end at the Colosseum in Rome, and the people would be entertained by these uh, uh, captives uh, fighting the wild beasts. And yes, I, I bet some of these soldiers probably laughed at the antics of the Jerusalem crowd that day and at the sight of this so-called king. Because what real king would ride a dumb donkey anyway? What powerful leader would stoop that low? They probably found it amusing. Compared to the Roman triumph, our Lord's entry was nothing. And isn't that how some people treat Jesus today? They're amused by the stories they hear about him. They laugh at him, at people who worship that kind of a, a king. How could sophisticated people be so ignorant today? I mean, after all, what educated person would believe some of the things that they say he did? Like making the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk and calming the storm, walking on water, feeding the 5,000 with five fish and two loaves, or five uh, loaves and two fish. <coughs> Who in their right mind would believe that? And so they just laugh at the Christians who had faith in that kind of a person. There were probably some of them in that crowd that day. And then there was probably another group of people there. If we go back to the earlier verses in John chapter 12, we see those people. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see, also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
Now, before Jesus had come to Jerusalem, he spent some time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we see another large crowd there in Bethany. But John says, they were there not just to see Jesus. They wanted to see Lazarus. Because as the story goes, here was one that was raised from the dead. Wow, that's exciting. It's kind of exciting like people here today that a person's gone to heaven and come back. Yeah. We want to find out what was it like. The crowd came to, to see a spectacle, a spectacular event. They were there to see the show, not to see the master. They wanted to know what in the world was going on there. They really weren't interested in Jesus. These were the people who were half-sincere seekers. They see the crowd gathering at the dinner that Jesus was attending, and they wanted to be a part of the party. The crowd came to a social occasion, a festive atmosphere. They came to the banquet. And wherever Jesus was, uh, that's where the action was. That's where things were happening. And it was where everybody was gathering. So they wanted to be a part of the party. And isn't that why some people come to church today? To see the show? To join the party? They don't come to worship the king. They come to see who's singing. They come because their friends are here. They come to socialize. They come to see if they, like Lazarus, can get in on the good stuff. And look out if there's food. You might get run over if there's food. They're there to get what they can get, not to worship the king. They're there to see the miracles, not to see Jesus. And so verse 18 says, For this reason the people went and met him because they had heard that he had performed this sign, this raising of a man. You know, I think it's sadly that uh, that's why some churches are becoming mega churches. They're drawing the crowds, yes. Lots of people are attending, but are people coming because of the concerts that they see available? They're there because of the orchestra? Or they come to, to sing along? They come for the show? They come so they can say, well, they go to that church that has its name in the paper all the time because of some event that's going on. They come because they're easily influenced. They come for the exciting atmosphere. And if that's missing, or if there's something that they don't like, they don't show. How many sitting in the presence of the Lord in this church today are only half sincere? How many come to church because, well, it's the thing to do. It's the place to be. That's the place where everybody else is. How many of us seek the signs only? You know, John chapter 6, verse 30 says, So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? That's the attitude of some. What will you do for me, Jesus? What will you give me? Mark chapter 7, verse 6 says, And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Matthew 23, 28 says, So you too, outwardly, appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. How many want the miracles but miss Jesus? There were probably some of those in that crowd on Palm Sunday. And then there was another group of people there, the religious leaders. John 12, 19 says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Wherever the power was, that's where you find the Pharisees. Wherever the prestige was, you could be sure they would be there. They wanted the praise. They wanted the glory. They wanted to be looked up to. They wanted to be the ones who had all the influence. They were fine as long as they were the center of attention. But look out if someone else received the praise. People were beginning to come to Jesus, and they were beginning to follow him. And the Pharisees knew that this meant that their political positions would be in jeopardy. How tragic it is that religious positions sometimes become political. That men reject Christ for the things of this world. That men swap eternity for social and political gain. These preachers and teachers and church leaders, they were only interested in themselves. They were only interested in the prestige of their positions. And they were going to oppose anyone and anything that threatened their power. But friends, God isn't pleased with that kind of leadership. Ezekiel 34 verses 2 and 3 says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughtered the fat sheep without feeding the flock. There are many in the church today who want the visible positions. They want the power. They want to be the movers and the shakers. And to gain a following, they will say anything that will make them popular or any statement that is popular. They'll preach the prosperity gospel, which says, come to Jesus and all your, your cares and troubles will be over. Come to Jesus, and I will give you whatever you want. They'll say anything to gain a following. They'll preach what the crowd wants to hear, not what the Bible says. And rather than pointing men and women to Jesus, they point to themselves. They want people to follow them, not God. They want to say they were the ones who produced the big churches. They were responsible for the big crowds. They point to themselves, not to Jesus. Isaiah 56, 11 says, And the dogs are greedy, they are not satisfied, and they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each one to his unjust gain, to the last one. Yes, there were some of those bad shepherds in that crowd that Palm Sunday. And they even went so far as to plot to do away with Jesus. And so these 
These are the people that were in that crowd. The ones who were amused and, and, and laughed at Jesus like the Roman soldiers. The ones who wanted to join the party and get what was in it for them, like the half-sincere seekers. And there were the ones who wanted the power and the prestige, like the Pharisees. Oh, yes, I, I almost forgot one. You see, there was one more group there. We read about them in verses 20 and 21. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Oh, if we would all say that. We wish to see Jesus. For when we see Jesus and worship his holy name, that's when God is glorified. When we recognize that this Jesus represents that the love that God has for us, a love that would send him to the cross to die for us, that's what can change us. When we come to the realization that God gave his only son to die for us, that we might not perish but have everlasting life, that's what changes our perspective. And I have to tell you, friends, it took me three and a half years into ministry before I really realized that. And it wasn't until I was introduced to a man who sat down with me one night and asked me, Ken, where are you in your relationship to Jesus? He said, if, if this were to be your last night to live, would you have the assurance of being with him in heaven? I said, oh, well, of course, I'm the pastor. The next question he asked, I couldn't answer with just the yes. He said, if you were to spend your last night tonight, and you were to stand before God in judgment, and he were to ask you, well, Ken, why in the world should I let you in? What would you say? Sadly to say, my four years of college and seminary didn't prepare me for that answer. And I said, well, I tried to live my life the best I know how. You know, I went through some of the Ten Commandments, and he just sat there, and then he said, well, you know, how well do you think you have to live those Ten Commandments in order to be sure that you're going to be there? My answer was, well, I don't think anybody can be sure. And that's when he showed me a Bible passage that I had never realized or hadn't read consciously before that has been the turnaround in my entire life. That passage is 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13. This is the record. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know you have eternal life. And there was my certainty. I could go home that night, lay my head in my pillow, and if I didn't wake up in the bedroom in the morning, I knew where I would be. Not because of anything that I am or have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me Amen. and what he has promised in the word 
I can take it to the bank. And that turned around my whole ministry. Before that, I could have very easily gone down the social gospel trail. I could have very easily gone to Selma, Alabama and marched for civil rights. Not that, that there's anything wrong with that. But there's more to the mission of the church than our own rights. There are souls who are being lost every day because they do not know Jesus Christ. And that's what has been exciting for me. That's what has spurred on my hunger and thirst to want to know more of the Word. And hadn't it been for that day that I met Bill Bright, Lord only knows whether he would be king in my life today or not. But I'm thankful. And I trust that God can use the gift that he has given to me to bring others into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what I find here at Lakes Free, that this is the core value of this congregation because it's based upon the truth of the Word. And I praise God for it. Heavenly Father, we would like to see Jesus. And we just thank you for being here, for being in this sanctuary this morning. We thank you for your coming, not only to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, to be hailed as the King, but we pray that we see you today, that we can open our heart and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life. Hosanna, which means he who saves, save me. And Lord, um, help me to go forth today to continue to show the love of Jesus Christ in not only what I say, but also what I do. May I live my life for you until you call me home when the King comes for me. In your holy and precious name, I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.